0: listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. Welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. We're your hosts, Jessica
1: and Caroline.
0: And today we're going to talk with Rhi Norgard.
1: Growing up in Denmark, Rhi found design integrated into her life. After completing a design degree at the Danish School of Media and Journalism, she spent a decade as a creative director for several agencies. Three years ago, she joined San Francisco-based SY Partners, a consulting firm that behaves like a design firm. It sounds kind of like us, Jessica.
0: Definitely. And what led her there is Rhi is super passionate about design as an act of service, from designing more inclusive organizations to reimagining how an ordinary product could become extraordinary for its users.
1: After our interview, we asked Ree about what a typical SY partner client looks like. She shared that SY partners work with Fortune 500 companies, including AT&T, eBay, Facebook, IBM, Google, as well as cause-related nonprofits such as PBS and Planned Parenthood.
0: Tom talked to Ree about her approach to design thinking and her new podcast, Designing for Humanity. Let's listen in to learn more.
2: Reed Norgaard, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast.
0: Thank you. Thanks for
3: having me.
2: I love Denmark, and uh, you grew up there. I did. We're going to talk about design today. Where? What, what's your? What's the origin story of your interest? Did it start when you were uh, in school?
3: I can't recall a time where I was not aware of design in some capacity. Actually, as a child, and some of it has to do with um, the family that I grew up in and of artists, designers, engineers and um, and thinkers uh, but but I think also growing growing up in a society that places a great value on design on um, both of public spaces even in education I would say um, and how people access it. Uh, I'm sure is you know it seems uniquely
2: me. Scandinavian. I yeah. I mean we think of that uh, um, the Swedes as as well as the the Danes, don't mm-hmm. you?
3: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I think it's a it's a concept that is in the in the public discourse, and perhaps even for children. That's how I that's how I remember it, anyways. Yeah.
2: So after uh, gymnasium, you went to the Danish School of Media and Journalism.
3: I did, I did, I did have some some early design work experience actually in between also, and that that sort of that helped me. Form a picture of what design might be and what it could do, and what kind of tools um, I needed. But yes, so I, I have a foundation in in classic languages and in art history, and I th- that that helped my further my interest. And then design helped me put it together into a process and into tools that that I could use to express myself with.
2: So if we. Fast forward through a couple of uh, communication and then design kind of roles, you found your way to SY Partners in San Francisco. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a very interesting firm. Could you tell us what you do at SY Partners?
3: We're, we're a consulting firm, first of all. We behave more like a design firm, perhaps, than an analytical agency. And we're really focused on, you could say, maybe obsessed with crafting new and better ways forward. Um, in and, and I say that as a way of saying rather than perhaps analyzing and fixing the past. So we, really, we help leaders um, and leadership teams mostly imagining futures um, so that they can go build them with their teams. And we use design uh, as a method for doing that.
2: Would would you say um, that you have a uh, something that looks like a structured process that you bring into every engagement, or is it more of a bag of tools?
3: That's a great question. Um, I, I would say both. We believe that every human and every situation, um, every organization is unique, and we have to. Um, as consultants, as designers and, and thinkers, go in and look at at any situation and, and any the potential of every human being with fresh eyes and open minds for what that road ahead might be. At the same time, there's some things that we know about human behavior and what design process can do to help that along. So so I would say both, right? We have a we have sets of tools that are useful broadly and that we might look at and say, in this situation, we're trying to move from towards um, something else. What what might those tools be and, and what has been successful? And then at the same time, very often, um, we actually have to look at it from scratch. And, and so that, that speaks to the type of work that we do and looking towards the future. When you do that, um, you have to be open to what it might take to get there and you can't necessarily rely on things that are working presently or things that have worked in the past.
2: So those tools could be as simple as um, facilitation techniques for moving a group that is stuck in a meeting to uh, broad phases of work and how how you might structure uh, a long-term engagement is that right?
3: Yeah that's absolutely right. So if you look at um, when we talk about transformation, yes, moving, moving a person and an organization from one state of being and maybe being stuck um, into another one, it's, it could be really considering how to structure a conversation between people to designing an experience for thousands of people at the same time in order for them to connect with each other and connect with, let's say, a new narrative or, or a new way forward for that organization.
2: Uh, our, I think our listeners would uh, love to know more about what it's like to work at a firm like Sy Partners. What maybe you could tell us what a yeah. there's probably not a typical day, but if there was, what would that look like?
3: Yeah, no, I think that's that's absolutely right. There, there's there are not many typical. I think what is perhaps common uh, is being in a state of questioning and helping. Um, helping other questions emerge. So for me, being with a design background um, and now and being a consultant, what that looks like is uh, a lot of listening. We spend a lot of time with our clients and partners um, to surface the right questions for them that would unlock uh, another series of questions and events and, and and ways of moving from one state of being, one One place to another to working with my teams to imagine how we might do that work um and do that from a a deeply um a a place of of originality and creativity so what kind of masteries what kind of skill sets do we need to solve the problem in front of us and that's a constantly that's a that is a um, a craft and maybe even an art here to do that and to question that so that we may go uh, solve this problem. And what it looks like very specifically is uh, working together in teams of um, strategists, people who identify as designers um, and designers, we use design in a really broad way. So uh, people who design narratives, people who are graphic designers and use uh uh, information design perhaps, and their their ability to organize content in order to reveal a story. Um, we use interaction design. How do you interact with with data and experience design? And so this is what you just mentioned, I think it's how do we how do we create experiences that allow people to um, maybe undo, start to undo modes of being and behaviors and and uh, be open to, Starting new ones, and so that could be uh, that could be imagining how to design a room or a specific location or a series of interactions, like you were saying. So, spending time with teams working together, going deep, working apart to solve uh, pieces, coming back together. Spending time with our clients, we we travel, we bring our clients here. Our our workspace is designed for convenings and coming together. So we have these very flexible spaces that can open up to host um, a, you know, a couple hundred people at one time um, to, to create new experiences.
2: And would you say you, you have a couple dozen clients at any point in time?
3: Um, so we have um, – I'm in San Francisco. We also have a, uh, an office in New York, and, and we have a number of, of partners and clients at, at one time. Uh, yes, yeah. As leaders here, um, we we tend to focus on a couple of key relationships at one time, um, and some team members may be really deep in the work with one of our clients over a period of time,
2: so both. So you work in teams, often on several projects. Uh, you travel and and work uh, in the office. Um Maybe you could tell us the kinds of organizations that uh, you work for, um, and what what kinds of problems or opportunities you're you're helping them um, problems you're solving or opportunities that you're helping them uh, take advantage of.
3: We work on transformation, and that can be the transformation of an organization um, going from. Um, uh, no. this is where it always gets hard to describe what it is that we do. So let me try the client angle. For so, we have a long-standing relationship with an organization like Starbucks. Uh, we work with Starbucks in time, uh, times of transformation. I don't know if you, um, if you're a, a Starbucks person, but um, earlier this year, when Starbucks chose to close their stores for an afternoon to come together. Um, and uh, share learnings on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, we helped
2: Starbucks right. design that program. I heard about example. that, and so you helped them build the curriculum for those conversations, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. for that day. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's an example of, of some some recent um, work. We work with organizations at, at times of transformation. So when... Uh, When the market is ready for a new type of of service or is asking for an organization to take on a new kind of responsibility, for example, um, we can help our clients negotiate that and develop a point of view that feels authentic um, to them but also is um, actionable within the organization and and, um, useful in the market at the same time. So, so, you know, large, mostly big companies need our help, um, big complicated structures. Um, and I think we all know that from our work, it's, it's hard to, um, it's hard to create change, um, for ourselves and it's hard to create change within systems that seem fixed both in terms of structures and relationships. And so, to work with people who can come in and see clearly where to change those um, can be super helpful. And that that's how yeah. we like to show up and that's the real value that we provide.
2: I'd, lo- I'd love to underscore uh, complexity. I suspect every yeah. engagement that you work in is complex on multiple dimensions. Is that yeah. fair to say?
3: Yeah, that's very fair to say. I mean, I think we're at a, and especially now, um, if we look at transformation in in a, maybe three different three different ways, the, the, the transformation of a person, or let's say a, a small team, that of an organization, and that influence into the structures that we live in at large or into society, there's an increasing amount of complexities, right? Where The decisions that we make at a leadership and a strategic level um, have implications um, far beyond just an an organization, whether that's environmentally or politically, um, as we're seeing all over the place now, um, it it does come back to a place of deep investigation, understanding of purpose, and how to clarify that and how to live with that and how to act on that in any situation.
0: Hey listeners, so we've talked a lot so far in this episode about design and design thinking and there's a lot more to come, but I wanted to let you know that over the last few weeks we've shared several podcasts and blogs around the topic, including one called What's Up with All Design-Focused Schools and Design Thinking and its Impact on Education Innovation, just to name a couple. If you're like me and listening to this on your drive to or from work, no worries, we'll add links to the show notes and on the blog. Let's get back to it.
2: Yeah, that's a beautiful answer. I, I I think it partially answers my next question, which is, um, is, is design and design thinking becoming more important? And, and is it in part because of this growth in complexity?
3: That, that would be my bias (laughs) as a designer and a design thinker. I think now more than ever, um, it is very useful to have a shared language for how to solve problems and how to step through a process that allows us to look at um, our aspiration, but also the implications for the decisions that we made in a continuous um, or or in a series of cycles and being committed to doing that all the time. So I absolutely think so. If, if another way of saying it is perhaps that um, design the design process Gives you teaches you how to zoom in and out almost at the same time, yeah. right? So, so the design um, process asks us to look at um, the humans around us, um, their needs, uh, how we're the same, how we're different, um, and to recognize those uh, as a, the first step. And we call that generating empathy, perhaps. But it also asks us to understand what the implications of decisions that we're making in a design process might be on society um, as a whole or we have using the process we have the ability to do so and that is more important uh, than ever so if we only work on a systems level um, we may not achieve the personal connection or the personal transformation that we're looking for. And if we only work on the personal level and fail to recognize that the responsibility of system, de- system designs doesn't fall on one individual, um, and that we need favorable conditions to become the best version of ourselves, at least neutral, right? Not, not to work against <laughs> us, uh, then, uh, then we really have a way of, of moving through these really complicated problems that we have in front of us.
2: Um, I know you've talked to our friends at the D School at Stanford, uh, Laura and Sam. Uh, and I think one thing we share in common with Sam and Laura is that we're frustrated by the, the fact that the schools we have today are designed around routine and compliance in the lives that young people uh, lead are increasingly full of novelty and complexity and and so our 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 new challenge in k twelve I think is finding ways to introduce young people to complexity and building the design skills to uh, to positively engage in in complexity um, do, do you have any thoughts on how and where? we could incorporate design into schools, particularly our secondary schools. Mm,
3: yeah, that's a great, um, I think that's a great evolution of the question, what's design good for in, in education, actually? Well, I think two things, and this was something that um, that Laura did talk a lot about, also when, when I had a conversation with her recently, is, um, and that's maybe more of the, Uh, level of creating conditions um is helping helping us understand how to create um, equitable environments for learning that's foundational for being able to navigate complexity um is to be seen is to belong is to feel safe um i think so so what's what is design's role, and how can we use design tools to help us do that? And they're they're doing um, some in really interesting work around that. I think on the in terms of learning and what what kind of environments and what kind of challenges do children need to do that, um, uh, I believe in collaboration as as a mode, obviously, applying empathy. Um, and understanding how to negotiate priorities, personalities and and, uh, and knowledge at the same time. I think one of the most important things that um, we need to teach now is how to change your mind. Um, it's very we it, it's, a, it's part of being human is to gravitate towards, a fixed mindset. Right. And we, we tend to, we know we, as we get to understand a little bit more of our minds all the, about our minds all the time. Um, we tend to go with anything that affirms a belief that we already have. It's just, it's just how it works. And it, it, and it creates a sense of belonging also, et cetera, et cetera, how to change your mind is a different, is a whole different thing. And it's so important in, in as an expression of learning, Right. Um, so when we take in new information or when we're met with with uh, information data that challenges the belief that we have, then how do we how do we go about navigating that as a person, as a group? Yeah. And how do we include that into solutions? To me, that's a that's a really big deal. And it's not just for children. It's for grown-ups too. <laughs> we can we always hope, I think, that, that if we can teach ourselves and then teach kids, then that that might go more easily. Does that
2: make it sense? It does. Uh, Rhi, your LinkedIn profile says, design is an act of service. What What does that mean to you?
3: To me, that means that design is something we do on behalf of others. And 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 to me, that's the most important thing. It's my way to be of service to other people. And that could be in the most, um, you know, on the smallest scale on a one-to-one person Scale really, or it could be by truly considering the um, the effects of decisions that we make in business, in in design, and education on the on the, on the biggest scale as well.
2: It sounds like an ethic of of contribution. Yeah. yeah,
3: I think that's I think that's right. I find that the language resonates with people who don't perceive of themselves as designers and and potentially educators too, um, is, is this idea of, of service and contribution. Um, so when I, when I spoke with, uh, Gabrielle Amon recently, who's a consultant to FEMA and works in disaster relief, when we talked about this idea of service, we connect it because the community she comes from, um, really are focused on service and contribution also in very different conditions. But but seeing that you share the same goal or have the same ethic is really helpful in understanding how um, how to work together and how to even bring design into an area like disaster relief.
2: Uh, Rhi, I've been binging your new podcast, Designing for Humanity, and uh, everybody here at Getting Smart, loves what you're doing that how do you think about that show and the and the purpose of that series
3: first of all thank you so much everyone <laughs> getting smart that's that's amazing um uh, i i think about designing for humanity as an investigation into a new design frame so that's my question my my call to the broader community of design and I'd absolutely include you and your colleagues in that too, is to, is to help me think, let's start thinking together about what the needs for a new design frame might be. So if, um, universal design, human centered design and inclusive design are design frames that help us, um, uh, see people, uh, see who we're designing for and with, um, then, then if we go back to our aspiration for solving really complex issues where the who is everyone, right? Design solutions that really take into consideration everyone, humanity, if you will, uh, then what conditions might need to be like, what might have to be true? What do we need to know? What is a framework that allows us to see those, uh, the the connections and the implications more clearly because i in my having you know having spent a, most of my career informed by and building on what i've understood from universal design and and now we talk about inclusive design we are we're focusing on on groups of people and abilities and and by definition when we're including some some people, we're also excluding others. It's, it's actually part of the design process, right, is to define your problem, um, clearly understand what you're designing for and with and, and what you're not solving. Um, but we find ourselves in situations now where we're saying, well, we're designing solutions for everyone or we have an aspiration at least to understand what the meaning of that is. And so do we really have the tools? Do the tools we have now serve us and do they help us in the ways that we need to know? And so I think specifically about um, the implications of data, what we can know, the inputs that we can have as design thinkers and, and doers and, and you know, looking outwards in the world, but also what we're starting to understand about um, uh, how we, how our brains operate in hum- as human beings beings and and how can we take that into consideration in a in a deeper way when we're designing so so that's the that's the purpose of the podcast and and to connect with people like you and your audience who are also thinking about the meaning of design what's it good for what's it good for in the future um what's missing and how might we do that together how how might we make that together
2: rhea if you're at a cocktail party and you run into somebody that doesn't know much about design or design thinking uh where do you send them how can people learn more about design
3: idou and and their hello design thinking i think is still a a really great place to start uh if you want to understand design and design tools as someone from from the outside um and then i think podcasts like like your own quite frankly um that are exploring the meaning of design in all these different areas is also is maybe the other end of the right. spectrum, right? Where we're, and, and I think in, somewhere in between, I think, I think many people can access um, design through the narratives of people who are doing the work with them. And I think that's really lovely. I'll tell you what, my, my, one of my favorite podcasts um, was called, or is called the habitat. And it was about the, um, the mars uh, habitat simulation project uh that took place over a year where six people um go into a, a a simulation environment of living on mars and what happened there and that's really all about design right it's like designing the environments and the human interactions but it's told through a narrative um that is accessible and and really fun and it was also yeah. really well produced so i would say those no those
2: that's a great uh, that's a great story if people want to know more about uh, you and SY Partners, where can they find you online?
3: The The podcast that I started designing for humanity is available on SoundCloud and um, also by subscribing to Apple Podcasts. And they can look for it also at sypartners.com, our website. And I, um, I, I wrote an article that we just placed on Medium recently called... Um, do we need a new design frame designing for humanity that also explores
2: that topic? We'll uh, add that to our show notes. Reed Norgard, thanks for being on the Getting Smart podcast.
1: A big thanks to Reed Norgard for joining us. We appreciate her thoughtful approach to design and for sharing her learning.
0: And be sure to check out our other design thinking resources linked in the show notes and on the blog post for this episode. You can also find great blogs and tons of content related to the future of learning at gettingsmart.com. And one last thing, make sure you hit subscribe so you get alerted when we release future episodes.
1: We publish them every Wednesday, and you won't want to miss all the upcoming interviews we have this fall.
0: That's it for today. Thanks for tuning in and for the Getting Smart Podcast. This is Jessica and Caroline signing off.